Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to part one of the Supernatural series. How are we all doing tonight? Well, uh, we are two guys you are not here to see, uh, but we are going to practice about a half an hour of our stand-up comedy material on you just to get you ready for... No, just kidding. So, uh, if we have not met, my name is Pastor Brian Kiley. I uh, serve on the pastoral staff here, and uh, this is Pastor Matt Bach, who... Good evening. ...is also happy to be here. We are... We are thrilled for, for what God's going to do throughout these next five weeks. Really excited that you're able to be a part of it. We have a few things to tell you about by way of introduction, and then we'll get Pastor Lance out here. Uh, the first is this. We want to say hello to those of you watching online. Thank you for, for, for being here with us uh, virtually. We'd love to see you in here a future week, or any of you, just so you're aware, if there's ever a week you can't make it here, you can watch online. You may notice that things look a little different. We've got a few Snazzy. extra cameras. Yeah, very fancy. Uh, if, I, if I may say so myself, we are professionally recording this for future distribution. So once the, once the whole series is, is done, we're going to be able to distribute it kind of as a full, uh, full package. So that's why things look a little bit differently. So uh, Matt, what else you got for us? All right, so one of the things that we're always going to be thinking about is how long is this going to be? And so you have to be prepared in advance that this is going to be about an hour and a half, upwards to two hour presentation of material each week. And so there's going to be a lot of information. We are recording it, but feel free to take notes. Write down as much as you can. You might be consulting somebody else to the left or the right. But the real piece is that we are compiling all this and packaging it for the end. So the material is going to be processed. It's going to be produced. It's going to be made available at the end of the series as a whole. So we want you to understand that we are not going to be posting up the videos of this right after we do this. It's gonna be being edited, put together, and then most likely we'll have a final package going into 2018 at some point. And so, so we're not making the teaching available in parts week to week, and we're not kind of putting out notes, but we have been giving the information to the necessary leaders within the church so that if you have questions, you can ask a ministry team leader or an elder or a member of the Bridgeway staff, and they're gonna be able to follow up and talk through a lot of this. But Brian, why don't you tell us about the pace how this is going to be coming to us. Yeah, if you're a Bridgeway regular, this is not going to be a surprise to you. The pace is going to be fast and furious. <laughs> so it, it, you may finish tonight going, whoa, I've got a bunch of questions. I need to process all of this. Uh, Pastor Lance, listening to him tonight, it's going to be like a drink out of a fire hose. And that's kind of by design. The, the idea is, uh, for one, just to keep us all engaged and kind of into what's going on. And then the other, the other aspect of that is just to keep this accessible uh, to everybody. So it's going to be fast-paced, but again, as, as Matt stated, this is something that's designed for you to kind of take what's shared tonight, chew on it, and then have the opportunity to return to it again and again. Uh, back to you, Matt, with a little bit on kind of the philosophy behind how Lance is going to teach the material. So a lot of you guys know that at Bridgeway, we look at everything as taking us back to the Word, right? We're a, we're a Bible teaching church, and so we want to be doing this as a biblical study. And so Lance is going to be citing a lot of stories and experiences and analogies and examples and exercises to help us understand, but the vast majority of what he's going to be teaching through is direct from Scripture. So we're going to be allowing the Word of God to teach and instruct us, because although we do believe it's valuable and helpful at times for different men and women to give their opinions, 
We care about hearing what God's word has to say, and so we want to dive into that. And so there's going to be a lot of biblical references. And so again, have your pens and your pencils ready, or your tablets, or whatever you're going to be writing down with. So Brian, why don't you give us a layout yeah. of the next five weeks? So here's how the five weeks are going to go. If, you, if you're interested, you can, you can write this down. So tonight is all about prayer. Uh, tonight's about prayer. What is prayer and, and how does it work kind of in, in, in the supernatural realm? Uh, next week, Pastor will be talking about spiritual gifts and anointing. What are spiritual gifts? Where do they come from? How do they work? Uh, does everyone get them all? Do only some of us get some? Does, how, does, how does God sort that all out and how should we understand them? And, and he'll also be going with the question of why does it seem like some people are gifted more than others, and then what should we do with that? Or also, it'll also be sharing a little bit about why don't we all have the same experience? Perhaps you've heard people share experiences they've had with the Lord, and you've just thought, I've just never had anything like that happen to me. So he's going to talk through how do we understand that. These are all really good questions. We should do a series on We this. should do a five-week series on these questions. You're absolutely right. So third week, October 29th, is all about healing. It's going to be a study on healing. What is healing? How does it work, and how can we engage in it? Week four, November 5th, is a study in prophecy and communication from God. So it's, it's similar to prayer, but it's going to focus kind of on our, how do, you know, what, is it, what do we know about our ability to communicate with God and about God's ability to communicate with us? And then the last week is going to be uh, just perhaps the most practical week of the whole series, and that is how do you make the supernatural natural. What does it mean just to live in the world as a quote-unquote regular person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to kind of live out the supernatural in your everyday life? We'll talk about manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about deliverance, things like that. We'll talk about how did we understand what's real? Maybe you have this question. I know I've had this question a lot of times in my life. How do I know what's real and how do I know what's just show or bogus or something like that? And then also, how do we keep things healthy? This is so crucial. How do we keep things healthy and God-focused when it comes to the supernatural? So that's the Outline of the five parts. We are almost done, and then Lance will come out. But Matt, why are we doing this series? And that's a really important question, right? This isn't just doing this because we always want to look at the why, right? And this is because we believe that, A, that this is a biblical instruction that we need to be teaching and not neglecting, and two, that it's very possible that there's a blessing that we're missing out on by not covering this. And so, to put it the most bluntly, we believe that there is a lot of instruction in the Bible that we are missing or we're neglecting. We believe that there's a lot that God has blessed us with that we aren't utilizing enough because we're not talking about it. We think that we have the weapons of the Spirit and we have defenses in the Lord that can keep us not only safer, but more effective in our ministry. And we think a lot of us are fighting spiritual battles in the world and we're doing it with one hand tied behind our back because we haven't been given that instruction and that equipping. And so we're not always seeing the victory that God actually intended for his church with his Spirit present with them. And so simply put, we think that there's more and we want to make sure that we're talking about that and God is getting a chance to do all that he has for his people. So, And it's going to be different than how we did it a few years ago. So Brian, just give us a quick overview of that. 
and, and this is important. If you were here a few years ago, this is important. But if, if you have only come to Bridgeway here in the last couple of years, it is, it is crucial for you to know that, that we have been down this path before, so to speak. That Pastor Lance did a series in 2014, very similar format to this, uh, called Understanding the Supernatural. And, and it laid out a few different things. Uh, the first was this, is, is it helped us lean into uh, our identity as a church, as a church that is scripture-soaked and spirit-led. Scripture-soaked and spirit-led. It's easy to be one or the other. We want to be both and have everyone hate us. No, just kidding. But, we, but it's true that we want to be both. We want to be a place where those who are perhaps less comfortable in the, in the supernatural, kind of, we tend to refer to those folks as maybe conservative people, we want them to be able to walk arm-in-arm arm with those who are a little more comfortable in the supernatural. Maybe you'd refer to those sorts of folks as charismatics. We want to be comfortable following the leading of the Spirit while making sure we are grounding everything in Scripture. So, so that was kind of the heart behind the initial uh, series. There's also uh, the biblical reasons, which Matt kind of alluded to a minute ago, that we, we believe we are supernatural people. And that something is missing if we don't lean into the supernatural, if we don't understand the supernatural, if we don't under, understand, hey, mir God is still working miracles, and how do we lean into that? Those, the spiritual gifts are still operational today, and what does it mean to, to, to lean into that in a healthy manner? Uh, and then also, the, part of the original emphasis of the original series was it was a study on how the Holy Spirit works in the church Today, Pastor Lance wanted to teach through how the Holy Spirit works in the church today. We wanted to talk about, again, these, these sort of the quote-unquote weird spiritual gifts, right, that make people uncomfortable, but they're, that, that are powerful if they're understood correctly. We wanted to talk about healing. We wanted to talk about manifestations of the Spirit. We wanted to talk about prophecy and the demonic. And again, we wanted to do it in a way that was healthy. And it wasn't about show, it wasn't about any of that, but it was rooted in Scripture, soaked in Scripture, following the leading of the Spirit. So our last thing, Matt, tell us, okay, if we already did this in 2014, why do we need to do it again? All right, so, you know, there's reasons to go back over stuff, right? The number one reason is that we are always continuing to grow, and we need to often hear something more than once before it starts impacting and changing us, right? We need to be able to understand it, internalize it. We need constant training in things, right? You don't apprentice under someone and only learn how to do an activity once, right? You have to keep going through the process, especially in areas that are outside of our normal or our routine, right? Secondly, um, Pastor Lance felt that this was a, a less than perfect presentation last time around. He wasn't fully pleased with the first time it went through. He knew that the information was solid and good and we were thankful that it was presented when it was because that was God's timing. But his concern was that the, his attitude and his spirit was not exactly where he wanted it to be. He self-admittedly um, was operating from a corrective mindset more than an informational and a training mindset. So although necessary back then, it, it, he wants to reset and kind of talk at this from a place of strength and a place of peace, right? Where it's not necessarily a response. And so, and then lastly, we're a different body. We're a different church than we were a few years ago. Many people um, chose to leave through the process when we were incorporating the Holy Spirit's ministry and processing this together. And so today we're in a different place and we're aligned more properly as a church and as a congregation and within churches in the city. And we want to properly advance together in all the areas of the supernatural 
supernatural without fear and with eager expectation. And so the last series was primarily focused on what and some of the why. And this time he's going to share a bit on some of those, but he wants to add in more of the how right? How, how do you function? How do you work within this? And so this is more of an equipping type of series to actually give a lot more equipping tools to process and use. So with no further ado, we ask for you to welcome to the stage Senior Pastor, Pastor Lance Hahn. Amazing. Well, hello, everyone. Man, it's good to see you. We got some great material to be covering, and so I'm going to dive right into it. Series on supernatural, yeah? That demands and begs a question, right? What is supernatural? Let's dive right into the heart of the matter. What is supernatural? It is occurrences, events, and engagements with things outside of our natural world. I would like you to picture a bubble, a balloon, And the way that it works is that at one point, God began to breathe into the balloon, and inside that balloon was our world, was everything that we know of our four dimensions, right? It is up, down, side to side, back and forth, that whole concept, but we also have the added dimension of time. That universe was expanding. That is the reality in which we live. We call that the natural world. God is not contained within that natural world. He is outside of that. He is the one that created the balloon. That heaven is not within the balloon. Heaven is not inside. Heaven is in a whole other place. So what we're talking about is outside of our reality and actually in a different dimension. I call that the supernatural. Now, I believe that these two worlds Natural and supernatural are constantly interacting, colliding, interfacing, and touching. That means there's a lot of give and take, but we don't get to go there in the way that they get to come here. In other words, angels and demons and heavenly beings, they have access to come into our world, see our world. We do not have access to go to them. They come here. We don't necessarily go there. But the difference is dimension, not distance. Here's what I mean. I mean in the very same room where we are right now, there are spiritual beings moving around us and we are sharing the same space. But because they are a different dimension, we cannot see them, but they are still here and present, all right? It doesn't mean that we're gonna accidentally bump into them, right? It's not like you're going through and you're trying to get to the bathroom and somebody's already in the stall. You look under the door, there's nobody there. (laughs) Angels are in there. It's nothing like that. We are all together, but they're moving through our atmosphere. And I believe that the supernatural is ultimately when we get some of that here. You may refer to the supernatural more commonly as miracles. If you think about what miracles are, That's the supernatural. So if we're going to do a study on miracles, it's much bigger than that. Miracles are merely a subset. But we are going to be talking about the miraculous. What comes from that other dimension? What comes from the places of God as they interact with human beings? How do we have interface? That is a series on supernatural. Now, 
who's arguing there is no supernatural, right? Because ultimately, if I'm sitting here trying to convince you of the supernatural, there must be someone saying there's not. Well, usually the only people arguing that there's no supernatural would be what we would consider naturalists or atheists, right? That they would discount that there is anything such as God. But what I want to refer to is a bit more that even within the Christian realm, there are those that would say that God is operating less in the supernatural than he did before. If you are a Christian, you cannot be non-supernatural. That doesn't make any sense. God, by definition, is supernatural. If you call yourself a Christian and you got saved by Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, by definition, you're supernatural. So I hope no one in the Christian world would ever try to argue that. That's a bit silly and absurd. But there is an argument that says that at one time, especially when the Bible was written, God was operating and crisscrossing through the dimensions back and forth from supernatural and natural and empowering his natural people to do supernatural things on a pretty consistent basis. For example, you open up and you see the apostles and you see those guys and you go, man, they're doing crazy stuff. You're absolutely right. Their argument would be that at the end of the Bible being written and at the end of the founding of the church, at the end of what is called the apostolic age, that God ceased to operate in some of the more unusual gifts. They're referred to as sign gifts, things like prophecy and healing, that although God still answers prayer, people are not empowered to operate in the supernatural like they did in the Bible. Now, I want to say this. It is a good, reasonable argument. It is a good, reasonable argument. The problem I have is it does not have biblical support. Y'all following me? There is nothing in the Bible, and when I say nothing, I mean nothing in the Bible that says explicitly that God ceased to operate in that environment or in that way. So, for me, being a Bible guy, I got to run with the Bible. If you handed someone the Bible that was brand new to Jesus Christ and you said, hey, can you read it and just tell me what you think? At the end, the most natural expectation is, let's go do that you actually would have to be taught that it stopped because that's not the natural reading of Scripture. So what I believe is most accurate is that all of the spiritual gifts are still in play and that God is still operating and qualifying his people to operate in the supernatural on a daily basis. My biggest question is how is that working and how should it work, right? What is good, what is healthy, what is right? These are the things that we're going to look back for. Okay, good. We'll dive into that. But the big question is, why should we be operating in the supernatural? Why isn't it simply God's business? Why don't we just sit back, pray in a very mellow way, and just let God do the crazy stuff? Why do we even need to mix into any of this? Why do we need to seek after the Holy Spirit? Why are we requesting gifts of the Spirit? Why are we trying to draw near to the Lord that he might move through us more? Why don't we just let it go? Well, I'm going to give you some reasons for miracles. 
Actually, these are the most biblical reasons. I want to give you nine biblical reasons for miracles. We will walk through this rather rapidly. Nine biblical reasons for miracles. I want you to ask each and every time I say one, ask yourself, does that reason still exist today? For example, if the only reason for miracles was to set up the church, well, once the church is set up, the miracle's not necessary anymore. Make sense? But if the reason still exists, maybe we need to continue on. Let me give you number one. Number one reason in the Bible for miracles. Number one, to provide walking testimonies of the power of God. To provide walking testimonies to the power of God. For example, everyone familiar with Mary Magdalene? Nope. Okay, good. Well, there's a lady named Mary Magdalene. Okay, well, so far we started off rather quiet. Okay, that's good. Mary Magdalene was in the ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, she was the first to be able to witness the risen Lord. Mary Magdalene was in ministry, and the Bible tells us why. Why was she in ministry? Because she had seven demons cast out of her. In other words, if you have a radical miracle occur in your life, you tend to lean into dedicating the rest of your life towards the place where you found freedom. In other words, remember, number one, to provide walking testimonies to the power of God. When the Gerasene demoniac, that's the guy who was naked and cutting himself with rocks and living in the tombs, you remember that story? When he got saved, he begged Jesus to come be his disciple. Jesus said, no. You go back home and you tell him what, what happened to you. You give your testimony. Well, the next time Jesus came to that region, tons of people came to come see him. Why? The power of a walking testimony. The Samaritan woman at the well. She went back home and said, I met a guy who told me everything I did. She was a walking testimony, and all these Samaritans poured out and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. In other words, miracles are to provide evidence, testimony of the power of God. Number two, to draw attention for greater ministry, to draw attention for greater ministry. Whether that's Jesus or somebody else, let me give you a list. Jesus got Herod's attention through miracles, the only reason he wanted to see Jesus. The paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda got the Pharisees' attention through a healing. The healing of the 10 lepers got the priests' attention. The healing of the mute demoniac got the Jewish leadership's attention. The healing of a man with a withered hand got the synagogue's attention. The healing of the paralyzed man at the beautiful gate provided evidence for Peter and John's message that they were about to speak. The messianic announcement to John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 2 through 6 says this, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended by me. In other words, why am I legit? Why am I the Messiah? Just look at what I'm doing. That was the power and testimony so more people would hear. Number three, to authenticate the gospel to authenticate the gospel and the specific message of Jesus Christ. Listen to these passages. Acts 14, 3. 
Paul and Barnabas remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Who was backing up their ministry? God. How did he do it? By signs and wonders. Hebrews 2, 2 through 4. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here it is. It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. How did God do ministry? Signs and wonders and miracles and supernatural. John 10, 37 through 38, Jesus said, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. What did he say? If I'm legit, there's evidence. If there's no evidence, I might not be legit. So even if you don't think you believe me, believe the evidence of the supernatural works themselves. John 14, 10 through 14, he said, do you not believe that I'm in the Father? That the Father's in me, the words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the accounts of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Oops, no, it's not just about him, it's about us. I say whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. What do you mean? Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow, that's intense. I think sometimes when we move through Scripture, we say, yep, I tried that. It didn't work. What are you going to do with the scripture? Well, I must have missed something and it must not work like that anymore. Does the Bible say that? Ah. The signs and wonders shut down arguments against the ministry. When the apostles got beat up for teaching the gospel, they brought them back and they all gathered together, religious leaders, and they said, man, I don't understand what's going on. These guys are doing crazy signs and wonders, but they're just ordinary guys. They're kind of stupid. They don't have any education. They're not have anything fancy about them. But I'll tell you this, what do we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we can't deny it. Whoa. The power of God was evident. What are you going to do with it? And then finally, Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, it was declared first by the Lord, attested to us by those who heard, and attributed by signs and wonders and various miracles. Number four reason for miracles, just for compassion, just for compassion. Jesus had compassion on the crowd and healed the sick. It says in Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Are we still supposed to have compassion today? Yeah. 
It's interesting, Jesus was walking through a town called Nain, and there was a funeral procession going by, and a widow who had lost her only son was weeping uncontrollably because her whole world was gone. Jesus saw that. It says he was moved with compassion, stopped the funeral procession, had him set down the young man, and raised him back to life. Why? Everyone's like, well, it was a link to an Old Testament, and that's exactly where this happened. No, you're right. There's layers to it. But why did he stop that day? Because he saw a broken heart, and he could do something about it. In Mark 9, 14 through 29, there was a tormented, demon-possessed boy. And Jesus was not going to leave him like that. It says that he had compassion and set the boy free. Amazing. Number five, biblical reasons to do miracles. To bring about and restore awe at the presence and power of God. Are we not to be amazed by the Lord? Yes, we are. Is he not supposed to be great in our minds? Yes. Well, how are we going to do that if we never engage with the wow part of God? All right? Acts 2, 42 through 43. And the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through all the apostles. Do we need more awe in the church today? Amen. Amen. Number six, to promote glory and worship of God. Sometimes miracles are just for glory. How do we know that? Jesus let his best friend die. Lazarus, right? We know that story. He lets Lazarus die. He waits for him to die and then be dead dead. And then he comes into town, and he raises him. He said, the reason why I'm doing it this way is that my father gets more glory this way. The miracle was just to bring glory to his dad. Number seven, it's part of the full ministry of the church. It's part of the full ministry of the church. Romans 15, 18 through 19. For I will venture, Paul says, to speak of anything Accept what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. For by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. In other words, your message is only part of it. The presentation of the kingdom is the other part. Paul finished his job, and that is what we are to do. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. What do we need but the church to advance here in this world? Number eight, reasons for biblical miracles, increasing faith in believers, increasing faith in believers. How many need their faith increased? Okay, yeah, amen, amen, me too. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, Paul said, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't just want to be a talking guy. I want to be an action guy. That's the point. Number nine, biblical reason for miracles to defeat the works of the enemy and free people for their purpose. 
Does that still need to happen today? Sure does. You all remember the funny story where Paul was walking along and there's a slave girl that was possessed by a demon. She keeps screaming out at him. And Paul just got irritated. You remember that? He's like, man, somebody's got to shut that girl up. Right? And they're like, well, Paul, she's demon possessed. And he's like, all right, fine, I'll handle it. Hey, you, get out, right, just to calm everybody down. Right, he knew she was in bondage, and he wasn't going to leave her that way. He knew that we needed peace, so he cast the demon out, and they move forward. Praise the Lord. I think that was very practical. Notice that when it says that Peter's mother-in-law was sick on the couch with a fever, Jesus walked in the house. What was the first thing he did? Walked over, and he laid his hands on her and healed her, and he lifted her back up, and she began to serve the household. Why? Because she had a job to do, but that sickness was holding her back. Jesus knew at that moment it wasn't necessary, so what did he do? Get rid of it, move on. That was all. And it says in Matthew eleven twenty, it actually, actually helps with repentance when people begin to see miracles. They're called on the carpet for their sin. All right, those are nine biblical reasons. Do they all exist today? Yes, they do. There are additional reasons where the authentication and setup of the early church. However, we don't need that today, but that is a tenth reason. Okay, so the question is, is God still doing miracles today? The answer is yes, but why aren't they more common? Can we all agree that they are a bit rare? Okay, and if you're walking in the fullness and, man, you got miracles going everywhere, that's awesome. You should be up here. Right? That's cool. I'll follow you. But here is a key premise to this entire series, and I need you to receive this in your heart. The key premise, we need to realize that legitimate experiences happen to other people that we may never experience ourselves. We cannot determine the legitimacy of an event by demanding that it happen to us. What does that mean? It means stuff can be real and legit and not happen to you. That is very hard for us when we feel like the world revolves around us, right? Well, I'm reading the Bible, and this isn't true for me. I get it, but it's true. It may not be true for you. It's true. It happening to you would be a blessing, but that's not always how it's going to go. Are we all going to wait to validate the virgin birth for it to happen to us? (laughs) Y'all following me? Can I hear an amen from the ladies? Absolutely. All right. Okay. We're not doing that. We can just leave that one back there. All right. So what that means in this series is that I'm teaching possibilities, not my experience alone. Right? So if I'm going to talk about, man, miracles happen, you go, dude, are you walking in all the miracles? Nope. Does that mean they're not true? Nope. God still does stuff whether I've experienced it or not. That's why I go back to Scripture. That is not new to the Christian world. Every time we engage with God's Word, you're reading possibilities, some of which have never happened in your life. That doesn't make them bogus. Yeah? Y'all following? All right. All right, good. Our bias is that Scripture is only what we've experienced so far. That's not true. All right. Miracles are happening. Uh, Ironically, they happen an awful lot in the mission field. And you go, well, that's kind of weird. Why does that happen? Usually the preparation of the heart, the clearing out of the time, the focus on the Lord Jesus, and an anointing that you've been brought into in another country. So 
there's a lot of miracles going on. It may not be in your circles. There are miracles going on right here in America. There have been miracles that have occurred right here at Bridgeway. As a matter of fact, a whole bunch of them. But you may not have been there that day or in that room. So we just need to realize these things are real. So why don't we see more of them? Well, I wonder sometimes whether or not they're hidden miracles or it's hard hearts. Are they hidden miracles or is it hard hearts? Here's what's interesting. Have you ever done a study in the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000? Y'all remember the story? Jesus has a few loaves and fish, right? A little kid brings him his little filet of fish happy meal, right? And all of a sudden, thousands are fed. Now, you got to assume that everyone knew that was a miracle, right? Started with this, fed this. Isn't that pretty obvious? Pretty tangible. Well, the other part that's intriguing is who's the ones that delivered it? The disciples. Who multiplied it? Jesus. Who delivered it? The disciples. Do you realize that the Bible says they didn't understand either one was a miracle? Now, that is, was it hidden from them? Where Jesus was like, oh, I got more for you, got more for you. He keeps filling their baskets, and they're like, dang, did somebody back up a truck? And they're just offloading all this stuff. Maybe they weren't paying attention, but it says they didn't understand either one of those was a miracle. How'd they miss it? I don't know, but I can tell you we're probably missing an awful lot of stuff, and God's not getting the glory that he needs to get. You following me? But sometimes it's also hard hearts. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue in Mark 3, 1 through 6, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. He said to the man with a withered hand, come here, called him up front. He said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians to destroy him. Oops, you missed the miracle. You're looking at the wrong thing. Literally, no one went, dang, that guy's hand just got healed. They weren't looking for that. If you're walking through life looking for critique, you're probably going to miss the miracle. Why? Because you looked right past it. You were looking at something else that distracted your attention. For example, if someone does a miracle and you don't care for that person, you're going to miss the miracle right? Because you're like, whatever it is, I don't like that person, better not be legit, because that's going to make me mad, right? And you look right over Jesus. There was a literal miracle in their midst, and no one's faith increased. Why? Because they didn't like where it came from. Ah, that's tough. Or we could refer to the Nazareth syndrome. Y'all remember that? It says Jesus went back to his hometown. One of the most powerful stories. Went back to his hometown, And he gathered everyone around in the synagogue, and it says, as he began to teach, everyone marveled at his words. Everyone was so amazed at who he was. They were drinking it in, going, this guy teaches like nobody else. He's brilliant. He's insightful. He's authoritative. This guy's awesome. And as he began to proclaim about him and what God was doing through him as the Messiah, one man blurted out, 
really? You guys are impressed by this guy? Y'all know he's from our neighborhood. That's Mary's son. He makes carpentry stuff. You're sitting on his chair. Okay? Not sure why you're all impressed. He lives over on Elk and Fifth. You understand what I'm saying? So I'm not, I went to, I went to what? I went to elementary school with that kid. He pushed me down. And you're all impressed. Oh, he's the Messiah. Boom. All the faith left the room. And it says Jesus did no miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people, which he thought was weak sauce, and does the miracles and said, I can't do any because of your hardness of heart. He said, every prophet in his own hometown is without honor. You got to get away from the people because the familiarity ruins the faith. Wow. Why aren't miracles more common? I don't know. I will tell you that from my reasoning, I think miracles and God breaking in with the supernatural is an oddity because that's not the normal system. God built a system in the beginning that was beautiful and perfect where the supernatural and natural interacted every day. It's called the Garden of Eden. You remember? And it says, and God walked in the garden during the cool of the day. God had no problem walking freely with his people. The supernatural and natural kissed with no problems. But then what happened? Mankind sinned. What happens when someone sins? Someone dies. There are consequences of sin. It's the reason why God said, don't eat from that tree, right? When they ate from that tree, they began to realize that mankind can rebel against God, and everything began to spiral into chaos. And our world became a dangerous place. Our world became a place where God allowed them to make decisions that would hurt one another, and we have been hurting each other ever since. God put into a place through the curse that all of a sudden our creation got distorted. All of a sudden disease entered into the world, and we have a wrecked place. So what is the plan? Everybody, notice the place is wrecked. Notice it's miserable when you don't follow God's way. Notice y'all need a savior. Notice that you're supposed to long for heaven because you broke this one. What happens if he does miracles and starts making everything good again? Did we learn our lesson? My point is, is I believe that there is a play already happening and that Jesus has to wrap it up before things can be right again for his plan to be fulfilled. I think miracles mess up that plan. We are supposed to age and die, but what are all of our prayers? God, don't let me age or die. <laughs> Isn't that true? Right? The point is saying no to God equals suffering. What are all our prayers? God, don't let me suffer. We're longing for heaven here on earth, but we are of a kingdom that is now, but not yet. So there's a tension, right? And that's where we get a little bit weird about it. All right, that's why God crisscrosses in and out, and it seems random. All right, here we go. So we operate in the supernatural because it's how the kingdom of God works, and it's useful in ministry. But even more so, and this is the bottom line that I want to share with you, 
we operate in the supernatural and do miracles because it's who we are. It's who we are. What do I mean? Well, let me tell you a little bit about who you are because everything in the Bible begins with identity and then goes to action. Who are you? And then what do you do? Of course, we know the only way to know our identity is to know who he is so that we might know who we are, that we might carry out what we're supposed to do. So let me tell you a little bit about who you are. You are basically, for simplistic terms, a tripart being. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. Now, the way that this works is that the spirit part of you is the eternal part of you. It's the part of you that will live forever. It was built to live forever. When God creates a baby, he imparts to it a spirit. That spirit will always live forever. We know that there are two eternal destinations. One has God, one does not have God. But all people are eternal. Are we agreeing? All right. That is the spirit part of you. That is the part Jesus saved. When you said, yes, Jesus... He took your old spirit, allowed it to die with him and raise again, cleansed it from all unrighteousness, cast all your sin as far as the east is from the west, remembers it no more, made it brand new, fused it with himself, and made you a partaker in the divine nature. That's your spirit. Amen, right? Good? Yeah, praise God. That's a good one. Now, we have two other parts to us. There is a soul, which we think of as our mind and heart, right? Have you ever felt like your mind and heart were a little messed up? No, messed up. Yeah, all the time. I just wrote a book called The Master's Mind because mine is messed up, right? So we got to bring it back into alignment. It is the next layer out. Our spirit is our identity of who we are that is pure and holy and sanctified before God. We are justified and excellent in his sight. But our mind and our heart, our soul of us, still needs renewing, does it not? We need to learn what our new identity is. Just as if a, new ch a child gets adopted into a new family, it does not feel right you got to learn to live into it, and then it begins to feel right. We're still being renewed day by day. That's what the Holy Spirit's working on. He's cleaning up that. Once that starts getting into a line, it starts affecting your body and your actions. It's pressing from the inside out. We all following? So our spirit is perfect. It's pushing on the soul of us to align it with Jesus and our identity, which will ultimately flow out in the fruit of our lives because our root is right. Y'all tracking? All right, this is super important. The other two are secondary and God is working on them. They're still messed up. They're still in process. But our spirit is right. Where does our identity come from? Our spirit. So who are we? Who has God made us? Here you go. I need you to lock this in because there's no way we're going to pray right or operate in the supernatural healthy without a proper understanding of who we are. Who are you? If you know Jesus, you are a child of God. 
The Bible says in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if you are that, you're an heir through God. An heir of what? Heir, H-E-I-R. What do you mean? An heir of what? An heir to the kingdom of God. Your father's the king. That makes you a prince and princess. Yep. That is who you are, whether you feel like it or not. Your mind needs to catch up with that reality. Amen? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. God is our Father. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We need to understand our relationship before we can pray rightly. We are united with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Everything Jesus has flows into his kids. What does Jesus have? All things. We got to realize that and unpack that. What has God given us? Once again, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. We have the indwelling person of God. Colossians 2, 9. For in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If that's what he did and you're united to him, what blessings do you receive? Ah, we all starting to see it unlock? Praise God. We are his body carrying out his will here on earth. We are the body of Christ. What did Jesus do on this planet? Super cool stuff. What are we supposed to do? Super cool stuff. Right on. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus with gifts. The Holy Spirit still empowers the body of Jesus Christ with gifts to carry out what Jesus would do. The question is not, are the gifts for today, is how ought they to be used? How would Jesus want them used? Jesus, our King, our Lord, our union, has all authority from the Father. And 1 John 2, 5 says we are to be just like him. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We are to imitate Jesus. Realize that Jesus started this very early. The disciples come to him and they said, Jesus, there's thousands of people and they don't have any food. What did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, hold on, I'll take care of it? That is not what he said first. What did he say? You take care of it. We'll fix it. Feed them. And they went, uh. And he's like, all right. He grabs it. Give me this happy meal. And he starts feeding everybody. Right? But what was his first instinct? You do it. I'm here. I sent you. I empowered you. Get the job done. You don't need to be looking at me. But they didn't understand that. It took him a while to catch up, so he went ahead and did it. Do you realize that the Middle Eastern discipleship method means duplicating in all things? 
When we become Christians, we keep thinking that we're supposed to think certain thoughts and not realize we're supposed to live certain lives, right? We're supposed to walk like Jesus walked. It doesn't say, say what Jesus said. It says, walk like Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? In power and authority. What are we struggling with? Power and authority. authority. So what's the problem? We are not following the Middle Eastern apprenticeship method by which he shows you and you duplicate it. That's how it always worked. It's how all the disciples assumed. That's why I have a hard time believing that when Paul starts saying, hey, Timothy, hey, everybody, follow me as I follow the, the, what? The imitation of Christ, I'm his imitator. You imitate me. That's how we all roll. So it should keep rolling like that, and everybody's duplicating what the original guy did. Christianity, Christian, the name Christian means Christ mimic. It means you're a duplicate of him. Copy him. How did he live? I don't think he lived like us. Right? How do we follow the Son of God? Well, I need you to understand that he was purified humanity. The Bible says he was the new Adam. What does that mean? We screwed it up the first time around. He did it right the second time around. He was purified humanity. He is what we would look like without sin and if we had full obedience. He's our example. And you go, well, he was God. Hold up. There were only a few things he did in his deity. Most everything he did was an example of his humanity. I just don't think we understand what true humanity means. I think we've fallen short, and we mostly live in our sin. Hmm. Says this, as you have sent me into the world, Jesus said, so I have sent my followers. Hmm. You realize Jesus has all authority? Yep. Who did he give it to? Well, first he gave it to the 12. He called the 12 disciples and gave them authority, Matthew 10, 1 says. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Yee, that's hardcore. Well, maybe Luke says it different, Luke 9, 1. He called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Verse 6 So they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Well, I'm sure that was only a few people. Okay, Acts 5, 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever... Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were, quote, all healed. You're rolling pretty hardcore in the anointing if your shadow's healing people. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you're all like, dang, sign me up. All right, I, that's an intense anointing. We're going to talk about anointing in a, a different week, and I'm going to explain to you why some people seem to have more 
power in one sense and other people do not. There's actually a very real reason for why that is, but that is for another day. Understand Jesus sent it in the apprentice method to the 12. He took all his authority and power, handed it off to them. You go, well, that was the apostles. Okay, what about the 72? You remember that? He did the exact same thing with a huge group of followers called the 72. He empowered them. They went out. They weren't apostles. And they went out and did all the same exact stuff. You go, yeah, well, that was just the 72. Hold on. At Pentecost, there were 120. There were 120. Here's what Mark 16, 17 says. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then Jesus Christ, after he had spoken to them, was taken up in heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And when they went out, they preached everywhere while the, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The 12, the 72, the 120. Did it stop there? Nope. Even the deacons got it. Who? Stephen. Y'all remember Stephen? It says Stephen did supernatural miracles. He's not an apostle. Who else was one of the seven? Philip. He did supernatural miracles. He's not an apostle, but he did signs and wonders. Non-apostolic prophets, Judas, Silas, Agabus, all of Philip's daughters, prophecies of leadership over Timothy. It goes on and on and on. The only time miracles ceased in the Bible was a bad thing. So in my opinion, I don't know all the answers, but I'm uncomfortable with miracles not happening more often. It seems to indicate a lack of health rather than that's just the way it is. Not biblically. Now maybe you go, well, just history has taught us that. Honestly, history has taught us to be dysfunctional too. I'm not quite sure history is the best teacher, right? History has taught us to be all kinds of stuff. I'm not sure that's great. Why do we need authority? Because Jesus doesn't want to go direct. The church is the hope of the world. He wants to go through you. Why? It's what he wants. We are called the ambassadors of the kingdom today. If somebody needs something from the kingdom of God, they should be able to go to you. And you're supposed to answer. Hmm. Now, let me just say this. I need to put in disclaimers here and there throughout this series so that people are not misunderstanding me. Disclaimer. Any miraculous event is from the hand of God. Amen. It doesn't matter whether or not I'm saying that we're a conduit or we're a storehouse. He gives us stuff to hang on to and then divvy it out. It doesn't matter. It's always from him. Are we clear on that? Mankind is not God. You do not heal anyone. God heals someone, but he may work through you. We just need to make sure where the glory is going back to, Amen. right? Glory better not stop with you. If they're more impressed by you than Jesus, something went wrong. It is always God, and we want to be very clear on that. Now, I do believe that he empowers people. I believe he anoints people. I believe he actually gives you things to steward well, but he gave them to you first. Just because you've had them for a really long time doesn't mean it's from you. It just means you haven't used it in a long time. All right, let's keep moving forward. 
I believe that we should have, at some point, confidence to operate in the supernatural. Confidence to operate in the supernatural. This is a funny story. It's in Luke 9, 51. It says, as Jesus was walking through the Samaritan region, he had James and John with him. They're called the Sons of Thunder. You know this story? They're walking through the Samaritan area, and Jesus was ministering to the Samaritans. You remember, Samaritans hate Jews. Jews hate Samaritans. Well, Jesus was a Jew, so it was a little tense. And as they're walking through the Samaritan region, the Samaritans are like, hey, you're awesome. Can you hang out with us for a little bit? And Jesus said, well, actually, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And they're like, what? Well, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Oh, well, then fine, go. Because they don't like the Jewish capital. They're not received there. And they said, if that's where you're going, you're not for us. Forget it. Go. Well, James and John were so offended that they would dare disrespect Jesus. As they're walking out of the area, James and John said, hey, boss, you want us to call down fire and burn them all alive? <laughs> Jesus is like, no. <laughs> Why? Why was that your idea? You didn't pray for their repentance. You prayed to burn them alive. Man, something's wrong with you boys. Here's what's fascinating to me about that story. Why were they so confident they could? Why would you even ask? They didn't say, hey, Lord, do you want to call down fire? What did they say? Dude, we'll bring it right now. It will be barbecue Samaritan style. Why are they so confident? Because it was that natural and that normal for them. Hmm. You know, I've said in the past, and I'll repeat it, that everybody says, man, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, man, that was such a cool time. If we could only get back to the book of Acts, actually, the book of Acts was the beginning of the church. That should have been the ground floor. We should have grown from there. If we're trying to get back to the book of Acts, it means we fell down through the floor. That's the starting point, not the ending point. All right, we'll leave it there. Here's the point. When they said, do you want us to call heaven's fire down, they spoke of commanding nature. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? Because who's going to bring the fire? Where are they getting the fire from? That's weird. Who are they talking to? And what I want to talk about for a moment is commanding the natural. This is a little bit weird and trippy. Okay, so Jesus did it all the time. As a matter of fact, in my notes, I have 20 occurrences that Jesus commanded things. He did not pray in request. He just spoke them into being. Hmm. It was actually Jesus' normal way of getting miracles done. It's the way he healed. It's the way he cast demons. It was the way he did miracles. Did not mean that he did not pray and request. We're going to get to that. But he commanded as the, what? The king of all creation. Remember I told you in a recent sermon that when he walked down to the edge of the water that one night, he told the water, you will hold me up. And he began to walk across the surface. Why? Because he's the boss. So he tells creation what to do. Well, we know there's many other things that he did. For example, he walked by and he wanted to get some figs off a tree. You remember that? And the figs weren't ready. And he said, curse you. Boom, and it dies. Okay, so he is commanding what's going on around him. 
That was how he did his miracles. And you go, well, that's Jesus. Hold up. That's how his followers did it too. Let's take a look at Peter, Acts 9, 40. Peter came into the house of a woman that had died from an illness. Tunics and other garments the people laid out that she had made while she was with them, verse 40. But Peter put all the people outside, knelt down, and prayed. And you're like, oh, okay, it was a prayer thing. No, no, no. He prayed first, then he did something. He didn't pray it through. He prayed, break, now I do something. What did he do? He prayed, then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand, raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. That's weird. I want to be clear. I think this stuff is weird, right? Everyone's like, oh, is that normal to you? No. No, it's not. Very weird. But do you understand there's a separation of prayer and activity? And I prayed. Heavenly Father, we really need your help. Is it cool if I do this? And he's sorting and sifting out, what do I do for the kingdom? What is your will in this matter? Once he understands the will, er, wraps a bow on it, turns, hey, get up. Who's he talking to? The lady. She's dead. (laughs) Bloop. Not anymore. She pops right back up. That's weird. Acts 13, 6, it happened with Paul too. First it happened with Peter, it happens with Paul as well. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, opposed him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by his hand. Oh, he's like, Paul's like, what? Shut it. Wham! And slams the guy and makes him blind. There was no prayer. He just commanded darkness over the man. Well, it actually happened again in Acts 14, 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. And had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing he had the faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. He sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted their voices and said, The gods must have come to us. They thought it was weird too. No prayer. Hey, you, cripple, get up. Boom, and he's up. Okay, the healing of the paralyzed man at the gate By Peter and John, you remember that? What did they say? Silver or gold I do not have, but what did they say? But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What confidence. Hmm. Peter cursed Ananias and Sapphira, you remember that? At the beginning, it probably caught him off guard. Ananias, are you lying? Yep, the guy falls over. Peter's like, ooh, dang. (laughs) Sapphira walks in. You know what? You're going to die too. She falls over. That's intense. 
when a different Ananias lays his hand on Saul, there's no prayer at all. He was told by God to go in, lay his hands on him, and scales fell from Paul's eyes, and he could see, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He just commanded it to be so. Okay, what is my point? My point is I'm trying to stir in your hearts that things are not always how you were taught in Sunday school. I'm trying to stir for you that when God says, hey, kids, I'm the king of all creation. You're my kids. I operate with authority. I give you authority. I need you to walk in that authority. So there's a certain degree to where you need to operate just like me. If I need to get something done, you keep looking around for somebody else. I just need you to do it. It doesn't mean that you suddenly are God. It just means he tapped you on the shoulder and said, would you partner with me? I think that the miraculous is a matter of stewardship. Let's talk about prayer. Notice we haven't even got into prayer yet. I thought we were learning about prayer. We haven't even started prayer yet. We're starting it right now. Why? Because the most common way that we as Christians interact with the supernatural is prayer. You don't think it's weird. You think it's normal. The only reason you think it's normal is because you were probably started off that way. When you got saved, people started praying around you, and you went, they don't seem to think it's weird. It must not be weird. It's weird. <laughs> Just because it's normal to you doesn't mean it's weird. It's not weird. Go hang out with your non-Christian friends and just lay on the floor and start praying. They'll tell you how weird it is. They're like, what is wrong with you? Right? Prayer is supernatural. You're communicating to the invisible creator of the universe, and you believe he's listening. Yeah. Because we either have a med problem... Okay, all right. Well, we really believe this stuff. Let's talk about prayer. I want to do another disclaimer. Uh, greater teachers than I have taught on prayer. I'm not going to be able to give you a full exposition on prayer. Those are conferences and their books and everything else. I want you to go seek out and listen to all the best teachers. I want you to go read for yourselves and study. I can only give you the Lance version. Right? The Lance version is I got to show it through you my paradigm. I want to show you from a different perspective. I'm only going to show you a few things that I've walked into and that I've understood, different things that I've studied. But in no way do I consider myself an expert on prayer. I am a novice in terms of prayer. But I think we can all learn together. Yes? Okay. Praise the Lord. Here we go. There is power in petition. There is power in petition. What's petition? It means asking God for stuff. It's commanding is one type of power, but petition is just as powerful, and they are from the same source, but they are for different usages. You use petition for one thing and commanding for another. Sometimes they crisscross, so it gets a little bit messy. But let me tell you the power of asking your heavenly Father. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, remember the cursing, but even if I say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. James 4, 2 through 3, you do not have 
because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. How much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Is there power in asking? Yes, it's how it was set up. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. I understand that we blow by these things in scripture and we just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just try to move on with our lives. But we must have a systematic theology that includes all of the Bible. Not just the parts that make sense to you at the time. Right? Three people agree with me. Okay, so he says, ask and you'll receive. Boy, that sounds super easy, doesn't it? Wow, that's super cool. Then why is it so difficult and complicated? Because I'm going to tell you this. I pray a lot. I ask for a ton. I pray over people all the time. I pray for things like people that are barren to be able to have babies. I mean, I'm I'm praying for hardcore miracles. I'm praying for super simple stuff. Lord, I lost my keys. Yeah. He said, pray without ceasing. I have funny things on my list. Right? God, I can't find the remote. The game's about to start. Things like that. You understand what I'm saying? And a lot of my prayers, the majority of my prayers, do not turn out the way I want them to. Just telling you. It sounds so easy when you read these verses and you're like, dang, so what's wrong with me? I don't know. We're going to talk about that. Here's the thing. The prayer matrix is that it all depends on what kid asks for what request in what situation, and the complexity of a sovereign God. Is God random? No, but it feels that way. God's not random. He's just complex. You ever heard of chaotic mathematics? Chaotic mathematics is the idea that things in the world are completely seemingly random, but if you get to the highest level of complexity, you see the order, and there's order all over creation, stuff that we can't track on. That's God. He's got order you can't even track on. Real prayer power is born, bred, and sustained by relationship. Relationship with God. Let me explain that. You either have a relational foundation with God or a manipulative effort. Either you got a relationship with God or you're trying to mess with him in your prayer time. If it's not in a healthy relationship, it gets weird really fast, right? Because you start using him as a vending machine. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this. God, I need this, right? 
you're trying to strong arm him. God, in your Bible, it says you have to, right? Do you understand all the weird manipulation stuff we do? It starts getting into mantras. I'm going to pray the prayer of Jabez, and I'm going to do it seven times, and then I'm going to draw a circle, and then I'm going to do that, right? Whoa, what are you doing? God, I drew a circle. You better. He's like, circle's all awkward anyway. That's not even a round circle. The bottom line is, we have to have a vital love component. All supernatural must be linked to relationship of love. Love with God as the source of the gifts and empowerment, and love with people, the receiver of those gifts, and the receiver of anointing. If love is absent, gifts get weird. If love is absent, gifts get weird. If you've ever probably had hurt or pain or distortion from some type of charismatic environment, almost always there was a lack of either love or maturity. Y'all following me? God didn't hurt you. People hurt you. Because people aren't very mature, and they're not always loving. That's why we're talking about it, yeah? Okay, good. John 15 says that he is the vine and we are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It is so critical that we are connected to the Lord. Now, he's not a power outlet. He's the love of your life. I'm going to plug into Jesus, get more Jesus power, right? Do a little bit of prayer so you can be like, Lord, I put in my 15 minutes. I deserve a miracle, right? You know you're going to go pray for somebody, so you're like, oh, Lord, 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 come on, come on, come on. Yeah, 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 right. More power, more power, more power. Okay, and then you explode. Whoa, what are you doing? Lord's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Are you, talk are you talking to me? Who are you talking to? You seem to be talking around me, right? We have to have that love-abiding relationship because when you detach from the Lord and start using him and manipulating him, you become like a shaman with magic words, and it just becomes really yucky. Okay. But Ephesians 3.11 says, this was according to the eternal purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We should have such a good relationship that we feel like we can walk right into the throne room. You don't walk into the throne room of somebody you don't know. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Relationship, relationship, relationship. When Jesus' followers saw him pray, they went, dang, I wish I could pray like that. And he makes it all personal. He keeps talking about dad and all this stuff. I want to pray like that. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Jesus said, sure. When you pray, I want you to pray in this manner, right? I think you all know this one, right? Let's go, we're going to go a little bit old school so you can kind of murmur it under your breath so that when we get to the trespasses, is it debtors, is it, what is it, sinners? I don't know what we're doing. Okay, basically, here's the Lord's prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then for those of us that know the little tiny written part at the very bottom, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Right? We know this one. 
He said, I want you to talk like that. Do you understand that every element of that is relational? None of that's manipulative. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we teach here at Bridgeway through our discipleship methods is something that we borrowed from a company called 3DM. We refer to it as the prayer hexagon. Now, a hexagon has how many sides? Six. All right, excellent. <laughs> yeah, we're like five, no, six, eight. I don't know. Right? Okay, so we have a hexagon that has six sides. Uh, at least our hexagon has six sides. And what it does, it just teaches you how to pray in a healthy pattern. And what you do is you go around the hexagon through the Lord's Prayer. So it begins with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first one at the top, if you write and drew it on your paper, if you write at the top, you write Father. You write the character of God. How do we always need to begin our prayers? with who he is. Who he is involves who we are, and that involves what we do. We always begin with who he is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The next side is kingdom. It goes from father to kingdom. You need to make sure your prayers are filtered through what is good for God's kingdom, not just what's good for your kingdom. It purifies out the distortion. Father, kingdom, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That is provision. That is the next side of the hexagon, provision. It's okay to ask God for stuff. But notice what daily bread means. Daily bread doesn't mean, God, give me so much that I don't ever have to ask you and talk to you anymore. We want storehouses, God wants to give us daily bread. Why? Daily bread requires relationship, storehouses don't. God, give me more, give me more so I don't have to talk to you. And he said, talking to me is the whole point. So I'm going to give you to it bit by bit. Okay? Provision is the next, right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. On the bottom of that hexagon is forgiveness. Forgive us our debts, trespasses, sins as we forgive those who have trespassed sinned, been the dead, had something to do against us, right? Forgiveness. We need to understand that he is filling us with grace that we might fill other people with grace. Our horizontal relationships and our vertical relationship are very tied in together. All right, so if we're going to pray healthy, we need to be going through this. Now, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And what? Lead us not into temptation. That other side is guidance. God, I want to go your way. I don't know how to navigate this minefield called life. So can you please show me how to walk? Do you understand the humility that comes through this prayer? Because what happens is sometimes when we start getting anointed or sometimes when the Holy Spirit starts empowering us, sometimes when we start getting the gifts that we so desperately require, we kind of become jerks. We start operating off and we're going, man, I'm good. I got something powerful to bring. I don't need to check in with my Lord. The Lord's Prayer demands humility. Guide me, right? Lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil. The last one is protection. So here's the point. The prayer hexagon simply makes us healthy. It doesn't mean you have to pray that prayer. Those are not magic words. It's a pattern of healthy order. Let's start with who God is. Let's start with what he wants. Then we'll get to what we need ultimately to fill out and make sure that we're not hurting other people. 
And then, as he's guiding us, we will be loving and kind, and ultimately, we don't get hijacked by the enemy because he's protecting us. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Good, good, good. I need you to know that prayer changes things. Prayer changes things because God says prayer changes things. When you have access to the Almighty, stuff happens. Would you agree? Yeah. I, I believe that 100%. Paul certainly thought so. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a worldly peril, and he'll deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. Look at verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Friends and family, here's the bottom line. God set up a system where you and I need to pray. And he does stuff off those prayers. We can argue all day long about how it works. It just works because it's how he wants it. Doesn't violate God, it was his idea. Our prayers matter. Paul said, I need you to pray so stuff goes differently. Philippians 1.19, Paul said, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Through your prayers, it will turn out differently. Colossians 1, 9 through 14, and so from the day we heard of you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Goes on and on. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What's his point? I'm praying that your life changes direction and God fills you with everything you need. Is that okay to do? I don't think it's just okay. I think it's the mandate. Colossians 4, 2 through 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word and that I may make it clear. Why would he ask for prayer if it was already going to happen? He needed a breakthrough. So what did he say? I called my buddies and I said, please pray with me for breakthrough. Why did he have to do that? He's Paul the Apostle. I don't know, but he did. And if he did, you and I need to, too. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Paul isn't doing any ministry without getting back up in prayer. Are you tracking with this? I mean, we can do this all night long. But I think you get the point, the pattern, the rhythm, right? Which was, guys... I can't do this on my own. Pray for me. Send up request after request after request, intercession after intercession after intercession. You've got to back me up or we're not going to get this done. Why should we have to pray breakthrough? I don't know. But we need to. So why do some prayer requests get answered and some prayer requests do not? And why do the majority of Lance's not get answered, <laughs> right? We could simply call it that, <laughs> right? So if you're like, man, I'm frustrated in my prayer life. I know, me too. 
Me too. You know what? I'm going to close this part by giving you 10 reasons. 10 reasons why some prayers are answered and some prayers are not. And in that, you're going to begin to see the intricate matrix of how prayer works. That you're going to begin to go, oh, that's why. And let me, let me show you my cards right up front. Here's where I'm going to end up on it. In the end, after I show you the complexity of what God has revealed just in Scripture alone, here's where you need to end up. You're going to feel like saying, well, then forget it. It's all random then. Here, that's what I hope you do not say. Here's what I hope you do say. Oh, that's why I need to trust my Heavenly Father. That's where we're going to end. All right? You might want to write these down. Number one, qualifications for getting answers. Number one, keeping the command to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Keeping the command to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? 1 John 3, 21 through 24. Write that down. 1 John 3, 21 through 24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Oops, if you stop there, you went, oh, I only get my prayers answered if I do right things. Right? Isn't that what you think? Nope, you got to keep reading. What are his commands? And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Is that a heavy one? Nope, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What did he say? You know what you bring to the table, kids? You can be loving and nice, but ultimately you just believe in me. I do everything else. That's what he just said. So, what? We need to keep his command to do what? To believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Is that bad? Is that wrong? Is that hard? No. You know who the king is. It's easy for you. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. Number two, we have to ask according to God's will. Ask according to God's will. First John 5, 13 through 15. 1 John 5, 13 through 15, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. What did he just say? We get anything that we ask according to his will. What does it mean to ask according to the will of God? It means to be in alignment with his plans and purposes. In other words, he should have been going that direction already. You are simply coming in and joining him in where he's already going. If you're trying to go completely crisscross to Jesus, you might as well just shut it down now. God's trying to work on your neighbor and save them, and you're like, Lord, my neighbor's irritating. Burn them with fire. <laughs> okay, I think that's contrary to his will. Are you all following me? Please, let's stop praying that. God's like, no. I already told James and John no. I'm telling you no. Stop it. Real quick question. Does prayer change the mind of God? Does prayer change the mind of God? As far as we're concerned, yep, sure does. As far as God's concerned, nope, no, it doesn't. <laughs> How does that work? 
super complexity. Here we go. It changes his mind relative, relatively. It changes his mind relatively. Now, I'm going to get a little fancy on you. Changes his mind relatively. Here's what I mean. Down in this world, God only lets us know certain things. We do not have all knowledge. We're very limited. And as a matter of fact, even our free will and full information is limited in reality. Here's what I mean. You know how we say to our children, you can be anything you want to be? That is a lie. No, they cannot. I want to be a bird. And it just falls on the ground. Well, you're a stupid child. I'm sorry. No, your children cannot be anything they want to be. I want to be an astronaut. Well, hun, you you're having a hard time getting through grammar, so probably not. Okay, so no, your children cannot be, I want to be a gymnast. Well, you're 395, and you're on the football team, so not likely. Okay, so be, what the point is is that we end up saying things that really aren't true. We don't actually have all that freedom. We have relative freedom. What you mean when you tell your kids is that, honey, what you put your mind to, you can steer down so many brilliant directions, and you can be so many incredible things. That's what you mean, but that's not what you said. You said you can be anything you want to be that you set your mind to it. That's a lie. So in our world, we, God says, hey, ask me and change my mind. Is it really changing his mind? Not really. But he is built into his world complexity and flexibility. He has given you only so much information that as far as your mind can stretch, you can change the mind of God. But you're only going this far. Does that make sense? Meaning that, yes, when it comes to our vantage point, you totally can. Because you don't even understand how God makes up his mind. So you're like, dude, he changed directions. And he's like, yeah, I did. Did he really? Or was that always where he was going? Okay, the bottom line is, from our vantage point, you want a different outcome than what he indicated originally. Will God ever change directions for you? Absolutely, he will. And we have evidence after evidence after evidence in Scripture. He goes up to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, hold on. What if there's 50 righteous? Okay, I'll change my mind. Well, what if there's 40? Okay. What if there's like 10? Okay. What if there's like five? Okay. Yeah, I'll change directions. If you remember, he told Hezekiah, put all your stuff in order, you're going to die. That was the command from God. And Hezekiah's like, no, 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 please, 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 please. <laughs> and he gave him a miracle in 15 more years. And it goes on and on and on like that. So when it comes to our vantage point, you pray it in. And he's going to smile at you and go, look, honey, I changed directions. I knew you would. <laughs> Number three, we got to ask in the name of Jesus. Ask in the name of Jesus. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's a little bit different than being aligned with his stuff. Asking in the name of Jesus is in his character. If Jesus were in your spot, what would he ask for? That's asking in the name of Jesus. It's the idea that you would ask, you go, well, it has something to do with the authority of his name. No, 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 you're right, you're right. There's the authority, 
but the name means the character of the person. In the Bible, names are not just names. They're not just monikers. They're actually descriptive elements. So when you're asking in the name of Jesus, you're putting on Jesus and going, now I'm Jesus. What would I pray for? That's asking in the name of Jesus. And he would go, oh, yeah, I love answering those. Number four, fervent prayer, prayers of intensity. Prayers of intensity. James 5, 13 through 18 if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is the key. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. And he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He prayed how? Fervently. Fervently is intense. I don't know if you've ever been around a person that is wailing in sorrow. That's fervent. That intensity of crashing into heaven. God, we have to have breakthrough. God, this must happen now. There are times when some prayers need to be fervent. It says that Elijah prayed fervently and it stopped raining. And then it says, oh, he prayed again and then it happened. Did anyone know that story? Do you remember that story? It's right after the whole fire coming down from heaven on, on Mount Carmel. How did, the, how did the rain come back? Anybody remember that? It was not as easy as it just said. Actually, he went out with his assistant, and he went up on the mountain and prayed super hard and said, do you see anything? And the guy goes, nope. So he prayed really, really hard. How about now? Uh, nope. Pray, 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 pray. And he's praying, crashing through, going, God, I just set up everybody telling him rain was going to come. This is really going to be embarrassing for both of us. <laughs> and he's praying like crazy. He goes, how about now? And he goes, I see a little cloud about the size of a fist. Goes back, pray, 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 pray. How about now? Oh, here it comes. And he took off running, and the storm clouds began to roll in. See, we always read the Bible, and it looks so clean and easy, doesn't it? Oh, and he prayed, and ta-da! And we're like, why is my life so hard? Oh, trust me, their life was super hard, too. Sometimes you got to pray with intensity. Do you realize that Jesus, before he selected his disciples, it says in Luke 6, 12, he went out on the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he chose his apostles. Why does Jesus, the Son of God, have to pray all night long? As an example for us, because he was fully human, he had to pray fervently. Should he have to? No. Is that how it works? Yeah. And I know that's how you feel. I don't think it should go like this. Trust me, nothing ever goes like I think it should. God, I have a totally better way worked out, and it would be awesome if you just listened to me because I swear, I got a system where it's like a win-win, right? You get a little something, I get a little something, right? You get some glory, I get a little bit of help. Okay, we're always thinking of new plans. I don't know why it has to work this way. It just has to work this way. And if it had to work that way for the Son of God... It better work that way for us all night long. You think he should have simply walked up and said, hey, dad, you know what's up, yeah? 
All right, who are they? Get a pen. Okay, cool. That's how it should have gone. Didn't. Number five, not just fervent prayer, persistent prayer. The persistent prayer model, it's called prevailing breakthrough, where you got to pray over and over and over and over and over and over to get breakthrough. Well, why should you have to do that? I don't know. Luke 11, 5 through 10, Jesus said to him, which of you has a friend that will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to eat. He'll answer him from inside his bed, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you that though he won't get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his irritation, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Seeks, finds. Knocks, opened. Why should we ask, seek, knock? God knows. Why shouldn't he just do it? I don't know. Do you all know the parable of the persistent widow? What a weird story. Hey, Jesus, how shall we pray? Well, you know what? There's this woman, and she wasn't getting justice, so she totally bugged the judge. Like, how about now? 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 And the judge was like, dang, lady, you are so irritating. I don't like you, but I'll do it so you shut up. (laughs) Jesus goes, yeah, pray like that. All right. That does not sound healthy, Lord. A bit dysfunctional. Number six, you got to ask for healthy gifts. Number six, you got to ask for healthy gifts. What father among you, if your son, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you keep saying, Lord, I really, really want this job. Lord, I really, really want this job. Lord, I really, really want this job. And he goes, my son, you're going to get into that cubicle, and that lady over there is going to become an affair to you, and you're going to lose your entire household. I know you really want it, and I know that you think I'm blocking you. I am blocking you. Because you keep asking me for something that's unhealthy for you. I'm not going to say yes. I refuse to enable bad behavior. Now, you don't know that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen. You're not doing it right now with any impure motives. What I'm telling you is I know what's next. If you say, Lord, I really, really want this, and he goes, you know that's not good for you. Why would you do that? Number seven, we have to be loving the people around us, proper treatment of others, especially our wives. Why? Because it will hinder your prayers if you don't. Your horizontal relationships really, really affect your vertical relationship with God. How do we know that? 1 Peter 3, 7 through 12. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you according to the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There you go. If you are going to get all pious and talk to God about what he should give you, and you're being a complete jerk to the people around you, God's going to shut you down. You don't get to act however you want. That's called a parental correction. No, you're mean. I'm not giving you anything until you change, right? Well, real quick, does sin block prayers? Well, yes and no. Yes, relationally. 
God will correct you as your good heavenly father, but no, it does not block you because of unrighteousness. Why? What did I tell you about your spirit? It is perfect in Jesus Christ. God gave you his righteousness. Hmm. We'll talk about that in a second. Peter and John at the temple gate. They walk up, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Bloop. The guy goes up and he runs around leaping and praising God. Yay, yay, yay. And everyone comes out and they're like, dang, I can't believe you guys did this. Oh my goodness, you guys must be gods. And Peter stops him and goes, hold up. And I love this. Listen to this phrase. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why are you staring at us as though by our power or our piety we made him walk? What did he just say? You're not looking like we did it, right? Because I, I know me and I'm pretty unrighteous. I'm the guy that denied Jesus. I'm the guy that's all kind of messed up. So it's not because of my holiness that he got healed. My holiness has got nothing to do with it. It's Jesus. So why are you looking at it as if it was our power or our piety that made that guy well? It says at the end, by faith in Jesus' name, he made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. Okay, this is the key. We read that passage about Elijah doing this, Elijah doing that. He did these hardcore miracles. Here's the key. Verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you are a righteous person, your prayers are powerful. You go, well, see, there's the problem. I'm not very righteous. Yes, you are. When Jesus died, you died with him, and he put himself into you. He gave you his righteousness. Jesus changed everything. I heard from the most unusual source, which I will not cite right now, a recent teaching that was brilliant, and it talked about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Let's be super clear on how prayer works post-cross. You ready? The Old Covenant in Israel was an if-then covenant. Y'all know this? If you follow my commands, I will bless you. If you do not, I will curse you. You remember? So in other words, God's part was limited by man's decisions. Law dictated that it had to be a righteous person that did right things, and then man can take credit for the righteousness. And as a matter of fact, we are still trying to quote the old covenant when we pray. You go, no, we don't. You ready? Here we go. I want you to think about your refrigerator magnet on your fridge. <laughs> ready? Here you go, old covenant. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Old covenant. You keep praying it now. Oops, that's not for you. If my people do something, then I will do something. It's an if then. You start it, you initiate it, it's on you. That's how the old covenant worked. That's not how Jesus did it. How do we know that? The new covenant prayer model is everything was bought by Jesus, and the new model is I did it, you just need to believe it. I did it, you just need to believe it. Jesus fulfilled and nullified the law and extended his righteousness to us. So what's the new model? 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. Now, if we deny him, he'll deny us. You have to know Jesus. 
Are we all clear on that? This is only for his kids. But look at verse 13. What if you are a kid but just messed up? Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He did it all. Our faith doesn't stop God. Our lack of faith doesn't stop God. We're eliminated from the equation for blessing, and now man can't take credit for anything. What's the requirement? Simply belief, faith. Obedience is only important for a relationship between you and your dad and him having to spank you. But it's not a requirement for blessing. We have Jesus' righteousness. So next time you read that James passage and it says, man, righteous people do powerful prayers, he's talking about you because it's Jesus' righteousness. Number eight, you ready? Number eight, you got to pray with faith. You got to pray with faith. Ooh, the faith factor, the most distorted element of teaching on supernatural prayer ever. Can we all agree on that? Boy, lots of weird, creepy things have been said about faith, have they not? And here's our problem. We do an all or nothing mentality. Either we have some weird thing where we're like, everything's about faith, man. You got faith. If you don't have faith, you can't be healed. What's going on with you? And the only reason you're still in there is because you don't have enough faith. And people start going off and going ballistic. Faith is everything. Or we slide to the completely opposite direction and we go, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with me. It's all about God. And it doesn't even matter if I pray. And who cares if I even say anything? And he's going to do what he's going to do. Can we please mature and come back to the middle? Right? What do we need to know about faith? I'll tell you this. Faith matters. Matthew 21, 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. James 1, 5 through 8. If you lack wisdom, ask God, but ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person must suppose he will not receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Is faith important? Oh, yeah. Why was Abraham selected out and given grace? Why was he given blessing? Because he believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. Faith. Gifts, the Bible says, are assigned by faith and empowered by faith. The hall of faith explains that faith pleases God. Christ demanded from so many people he healed. He healed the 10 lepers, but they didn't get healed until they turned and walked away in faith. Then they were healed. He made the man stretch out his hand. Then he was healed. He demanded these acts of faith. Why? You'll see. Faith can bring intensity and power. Remember, it says that while right here, it says Paul was busy preaching and he saw a guy who had the faith to be healed. He said, you got the faith to be healed. Boom, let's go. And he was up and ready to go. So does it mean that we all have to have some supernatural power force? Nope. Let me be very clear. It should be very rare that we ever get into a conversation that you are the way you are because you don't have enough faith. That should be a very unusual conversation. Usually it's about a relationship between you and the Lord. This whole business where people are shouting it at other people and commenting, you are that way, you need to shut your mouth because you don't know that. And when you say it, it is so hurtful. And all it does is sow seeds from the enemy of doubt and shame and hurt and fear. Please eliminate that from your vocabulary. 
until you are wise enough and humble enough and mature enough to say it rightly. Please don't ever say that again. So many people have been crushed by those words. And I don't believe that nine times out of ten it was ever accurate. I'll tell you when it is accurate. When the whole time God's been working with you and you even know inside, God keeps going, honey, I healed you. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. Why do you keep hanging on to it? And he gets into a battle of you not releasing? That's probably the only time we'll ever get into that conversation. But as far as going up to somebody in a wheelchair and making a comment like that, please don't ever let that happen in Bridgeway or anyone around me because it's not good. Please, let's calm that down. Yeah? Can we agree with that? Okay. Praise the Lord. Here's the thing. In John 5, 2 through 15, Jesus came up to a paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And he went up and he said, do you want to be well? And the guy's like, yeah. He said, all right, pick up your bed and walk. Later on, the Pharisees said, wait, 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 who healed you? And he goes, I have no idea who that guy was. Only later did you find out it was Jesus. How much faith do you think that guy had in Jesus when he got healed? Zero. Your lack of faith is not going to stop God. He doesn't need your faith. He's going to do, if he feels that he can bless you as his child, he'll just push through it. And sometimes he'll do it just to increase your faith, right? So for all of you that are going, man, I just got to get my head wrapped around it so I can do the right thing so I can be healed. Please be careful on that thought. Not sure it's healthy, okay? So here's the thing. There are two elements of faith I need you to write down that are important. Two elements of faith. Number one, faith means praying the right direction and looking at the right person. Faith means praying the right direction and looking at the right person. Faith is not a force. Faith is not a Jedi mind trick. Faith is not magic tarot cards. It is trust in a person. There was a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she came up to Jesus, and he healed her. Do you remember what he said? He said, my daughter, your faith has made you well. And you're like, oh, that meant that she was like super locked in. No, here's what he meant. Honey, the whole reason that you thought I could heal you and you had trust that I would, and you showed up today, that's the only reason I got a chance to heal you, because you showed up. You knew I'm the guy, and you came my direction. If and, and you go, well, I don't understand. There are a lot of gods in this world. There's a lot of answers in this world. And if you're just looking around and just trying a whole bunch of different ones, and you don't even really think that God is legit, why should he honor that prayer? You got to at least have faith to believe that he exists to even pray. If you pray to the Lord Jesus with your heart, you already have more than enough faith because you even looked his direction because you trusted that he knows how, Right? Ah. Uh, a powerful story. God revealed this and brought it up to my mind when I was praying one time, which is something that we'll talk about, about God speaking to us in another week. Um, but y'all remember the story when the people were grumbling in the desert, the Israelites were grumbling in the desert, and God got super ticked off, and, or one of the times, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so God made a whole bunch of fiery serpents, 
and they went around, they're like biting everybody, and they're killing people. Do you remember that? And they cried out. They repented. They said, Lord, we're way out of line. You've got to help us out. Do you remember his answer? It was super weird. Hey, Moses. Moses is like, yeah, Lord, they're super messed up. He's like, I know. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to make a bronze serpent on a stick. Why? Because I said so. All right. What do I do with it? Hold it up. Then what? That's it. If they look at it, they'll be healed. If they don't look at it, they won't. <gasps> That's a weird plan. That's your plan? I don't want more snakes. I want less snakes. Hey, guys. Ow, ow, they're burning me and they're hurting me. Hey, guys, guys, yeah, hold on, hold on real quick. I got a bronze one. Um, so if you guys want to be healed, look up at the snake. What are you talking about? That's stupid. I know. Look up at the snake. I can't. Oh, my gosh, I'm burning. Okay, look up at the snake. Okay, I looked at the snake. Oh, it doesn't hurt anymore. That's so weird. You're like, what does this have to do with anything? That's faith. Was it faith in snakes? No, that's dumb. It was faith that whatever God says, you did that. When God says, hey, I want you to go get prayed for. Oh, there you go. And you went. That was faith. You're all done. You just go in the right direction. You're heading to the right guy. That's what faith means. Okay. Um, second one. Second element of faith. Faith means confidence. Confidence, trusting that one. It's not hope, it's faith. Okay, do you know the difference between hope and faith? Hope is wishful thinking. Faith is being confident of what was already said. You tracking with me? Both of them are super cool. Man, I hope that God rescues me from this problem. Well, he may want you to be a martyr and you may die. I hope I get out of this. Okay, you can hope that. But if you say, I hope I get saved at the end of all this. That's wrong. You need to have faith because Jesus said you're saved. Faith comes from revelation. You have to have a revelation from God so you can believe it and hang on to it. Without any revelation, without any words, without any truth, it's not faith. It's hope. So you got to pray with faith, meaning that if God has said something true about you, you got to hang on to it and not allow your emotions to blitzkrieg you and knock you out. In faith, analysis should help, not hurt. You guys tracking? Because here's the funny thing we get into, and let's be honest. You all of a sudden are going to get prayed for, and you're like, don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it too hard. Oh, my gosh, I just got healed. Don't think about it too hard. Don't think about it too hard, because you're going to lose it. Don't. You're going to lose it. <laughs> Isn't that what we do? Why are we doing that? Because we think that when somebody says you've got to contend for your healing, that's what we think it means, that you're just like, oh, don't analyze. Don't analyze. Do you understand that hope kind of falls apart with analyzing? If you're like, man, I hope we get out of this, and somebody's like, you know we won't. You're like, oh, thank you. Well, seriously, they have really sharp swords. Thank you, sir, for the analysis. Now I have no hope. I appreciate that. But in faith, 
you analyze and not let your emotions control it. You go back to what he said, and what did he say? You overanalyze and overanalyze it. No, he said, this is going to happen. I refuse to go anywhere else. Analysis helps faith, doesn't hurt faith. By the way, God's not looking for a ton of faith. Here's what he said. The apostles saw what he did, and they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could tell a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted over there, and it would obey you. He's going, I'm not asking for a lot of confidence. I'm just saying that if I told you, I need you to hang on to that. Our true level of faith will show in our actions. Uh, we say we believe a lot of things. We don't. We don't. Here's the thing. Uh, let's say you guys go out in the parking lot and your tire is flat. And I say, oh, I can change a tire. And then you go, oh, I'm sure you can, and walk away. You don't believe me. If you say, oh, great, come change my tire, you have faith that I can change a tire. Right? Pretty simple. But if you don't really believe it, your actions will prove it. If you say you believe that you're a child of God, but don't live like it in that victory, you probably don't really believe it. You following? Okay. By the way, how do you get more faith? Because we need more faith, right? I do. How do you get more faith? Uh, you got two ways. One, you pray for it. Or two, you build it. So you either just ask the Lord, Lord, I'm really low on faith. I need your help. And he goes, ta-da. That's rare. The other one is build it. What does it mean? Well, first of all, you fight emotional theft of your faith, meaning you battle doubt and fear. You build it. Number two, you are always re-believing. Our minds do not hold truth. They're leaky. And you got to hang on to it and re-believe and re-believe and re-believe. What did God say? What did God say? What did God say? He said I was forgiven. What did God say? He said I was forgiven. Wait, what did God say? He said I was forgiven. We have to re-believe. Testimonies, build it. In a corporate environment, when I'm all fired up and I'm confident, it makes you confident. When I have a bunch of doubt, it messes with your head, right? Okay. We got to change our atmosphere then. How do we build our faith? We get in an atmosphere where people are confident in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to simplify your mind. Too many of us have the paralysis of analysis, right? Sometimes you just got to hide under a shield of faith and go, my Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. Number nine, let's close it out. Number nine, prayer, powerful prayer, prayer that gets answers, has to fight through spiritual warfare. How do we know that? Because Jesus came down off a mountain, and there was a man down there with a demon-possessed boy, and he was super bummed out. And he went up to Jesus, and he said, I brought this little guy to your disciples, and they couldn't cast it out. And Jesus went, oh, seriously? All right, bring him to me. Hey, thing, get out. And it was out. Afterwards, the disciples were super embarrassed. They're like, Lord, how come we couldn't cast it out? And he's like, ooh, yeah, that's a sticky kind. That one only comes out by prayer and fasting. They're like, well, you didn't tell us about sticky kinds. <laughs> Here's what's interesting about that. They couldn't get it out, and it was after he had given them all authority over casting demons. That's weird. Because authority is not enough if it is a resistant, rebellious one that doesn't care about authority, and then you need power. What fasting does is it aligns 
your mind, will, and emotions, your soul, and your body, and begins to get them out of the way so your spirit can come blasting through. You all following? Nope. <laughs> Last one, number 10. Number 10, I swear we're going to close. Tomorrow. <laughs> number 10, here you go. Prayers to get answered. Here we go. Number 10, a sovereign God and the struggle of hearing no. A sovereign God and the struggle of hearing no. Why do some prayers not get answered? Because God doesn't want to. That is the hardest thing, is it not? It'd be one thing if Jesus didn't hear no, but he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, is there any other way we can roll this? No. Father, I'm going to die. I know. God, I am so stressed out right now. I am sweating like great drops of blood. My body is falling apart. I know, my son. Can we please do this another way? Jesus prayed how many times? Three times. The exact same prayer. Please, Father. Please, Father. Please, Father. No, no, no. Because my son, it has to be this way. And it's a lot bigger than what's going on right now. You go, well, that was Jesus and that was dying on the cross. Well, then why did it happen to Paul? And so I had a thorn in my flesh. It was tormenting me. And I prayed how many times? Three times that the Lord would take it away. And he said what? No, no, no. My grace is sufficient for you. If I answered all your prayer requests and made everything work in accordance with what you thought, after what you've seen, after what I've done through you, it's going to create your arrogance that's going to be so far off the charts, I won't be able to use you anymore. So the answer, my son, is no. That suffering remains. close with just floating something out there for you, because next week we start getting into weird stuff. <laughs> Amen. So here we go. Here's an added weapon in our arsenal of supernatural prayer breakthrough. It's called praying in the spirit. Is that a real thing? Yeah. Praying in the spirit. Whoa, what? Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind has no idea what I'm talking about. Huh, what's the difference between tongues and a prayer language? Is there a way to be able to communicate with the Lord where you're not thinking through every thought and analyzing everything? I think there is. But we'll talk about that another time. May I pray and close this out? By the way, we went through 23 pages of notes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> My normal in 45 minutes is four pages, so I'm not sure how the Lord did that. So that was good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom that you pour out through your word, that, Lord, we wanted to stay tightly knit to your word. God, I know it doesn't say everything. I know you have so much more to say. 
but we do know that it's true. We know that it's right. We know that we can bank on it. And so, Father, we're going to begin there. But really, Holy Spirit, you have so much more to say. I just pray, God, that you would keep our hearts open, our spirits soft, allow our minds to be engaged, and that we would always be good Bereans and testing what we hear. God, take our church to another level with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for coming.